Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 64, Act 2, Yasmani Arboleda, Mobilizing Interdependence, recorded January 9th, 2023. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching Artistry, powered by A Space Between. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air stewarded by the Canarsie and Munsee Lenape peoples in what is colonially known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks so much for listening and supporting this indie podcast. Y'all, we have surpassed 40,000 plays. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our global community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast player. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Teaching Artistry Podcast. Head over to teachingartistry.org to access episodes, guest bios, e-zines, merch, and more. So in this conversation, Yasmani says something interesting. He says that we have inherited the earth and discusses the destructive nature behind or the actions behind land ownership. So right now what's bubbling to mind is the wildfires in Maui, um, which is a very important and very sad issue to focus on. and so the fires were caused by a confluence of private purveyors and state-run departments neglecting or hoarding resources for profit, uh, like a huge percentage of the water sources within that area. And today I was reading a, a, an essay about um, in the New York Times. This was the title. Uh, the, a legacy of colonialism set the stage for the Maui wildfires. And this was written by Dr. Yarmar Bonilla, who is a contributing opinion writer, often covers race, history, pop culture, and the American empire. So early on in the piece, there, uh, there's a paragraph that states this, quote, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has acknowledged that the climate crisis is rooted in the exploita- exploitation and degradation of environment, people, and cultures, which were foundational principles of colonialism. Settlers prioritized immediate resources, uh, resource gains over long-term eco- ecological 
health, shunning indigenous land management practices as outdated barriers to progress, end quote. However, and but, uh, yeah, but look at what the pursuit of quote unquote progress has wrought, right? Um, originally, in the 19th century, it was focused on sugar and pineapple exports, and then um, sort of moved into exploiting the land for tourism within the 20th and 21st century. And this is where we are. This is where we are. Um, so I do not claim to be an expert in this, but I am trying to educate myself as best I can, um, paying attention, listening not to the government necessarily, but to the folks who live there, the indigenous folks who live there, and um, you know ways that I could be thinking about where I live and where I go and how I go and what I uh, engage with on that land um, is something I need to be, I feel like I'm, I'm trying to be more mindful of. Um, so further into this, this act uh, or thinking about this act, Yasmini is, you know, just a delight, but yeah, he shares his experience working on, the massive undertaking that was Little Amal in the fall of 22, um, the negative impacts of exploiting the land, and how art can be a vehicle to share uh, narratives about migration, um, which was informed by Little Amal, and the very real stories uh, with those who have recently arrived in New York City. And I also come to a realization that he literally manifests art and projects into reality. And you have to hear why, why I come to that conclusion. So here is episode 64, act two, Yasmani Arboleda, mobilizing interdependence. I'm just going to just put a little footnote around, yeah, Fort Greene is in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and there's been a lot of change over the last 20 years in that, in that particular neighborhood as, as there have been in many neighborhoods in Brooklyn, but that neighborhood is next to where, um, there was a big, huge construction that happened at the, um, on Atlantic Avenue with a new stadium. And, uh, there was very, a lot of controversy about building that stadium over the, um, the Long Island railroad, uh, rail yard. And, and houses and apartments and, you know, work, what do you call it, mixed-use buildings. Um, and that, you know, the nature of that, that whole area has completely shifted um, from, you know, what was, was a, you know, a fairly affordable place to what a place that's, you know, in downtown Brooklyn in general, it looks more built up than lower Manhattan, I mean, we've got these skyscrapers in, in downtown Brooklyn is cr like beyond crazy. Not only that, like I live in the middle of Brooklyn and I'm living in a, in a skyscraper <laughs> because of gentrification. That's right. That happened. Um, so, so when you tell a story about that, about like all these different pe people from different walks of life, different life experiences, different, you know, uh, income levels, different um, cultures and ethnicities and races working on this project because of their love of a neighborhood, a love of this historical, like that's very heartwarming and it's very exciting. Like what you said about, you know, people interacting with each other. And I'm, I, I'm where I'm going with this is that like those 
people are changed, as you had said earlier, they're changed forever because of that experience. And what, what changes in people's hearts and minds because of going through an experience with that, how can that impact the next thing or what happens within that neighborhood when you're not there, when you're not a part of it, right? Totally. But so what's so magical about all of my work is that all of those friendships remain outside of me, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of the existing relationships inform each other. And so much of what evolves, what happens with folks is that not only because a huge part of the way that I do my work is what's the headline uh, or what, when people, when we create this impossible thing, what are we going to write about, right? I invite people to think about these things and actually imagining and going through the process of making it happen. You learn about how to finance a project, how to fundraise. You learn a little bit about how to tell stories and how to bring people to your stories. Journalists who want to be able, want to be involved because they want, they want to hear about what's happening and how we're operating in the world. Um, and all of these are skills that most folks aren't practicing. And so in the art of, in the art of making art, uh, in the practice of making art, we learn all kinds of things. It enables us to really evolve into, I feel like with every one of my projects, it feels like we're building a company and like we're building the way it looks, the way it feels, the way people experience, what are they doing? How are they doing it? What are we making? Mm -hmm. And, um, and that, and that gets practiced forevermore because it just, it's a little bit about learning how to public speak. You just keep doing it and you keep getting better at it. And you, you know, it, it is about the practice of it. So speaking of the practice, like, it, like we touched on it a little bit around little Amal. Do you want to just talk about that project, how you got involved with Susan brought you in and you know, that I didn't realize how many events, I, I don't think I was understanding the amount of time and the events that everybody was involved. Was everybody involved in every single event or what? You know, Same as warehouse was the hub and we held all 50 events for the entire visitor of Little Amal. Yeah. And so uh, myself and Melissa Keithman, um, who is an educator, activist, and theater maker um, based out of Rhode Island. Uh, she's been working at Brown for, I think, at least five years. Uh, but she's a director, amazing, amazing human being. Her and I worked together to really produce all of these events. And that meant that we were building out story, uh, location, stakeholders for each of these sites. The original plan was we would, we would have two events per day for uh, 15 days total. Um, it eventually became three to four events per day in 17 days total, uh, totaling uh, 50 events between September 14th and October 2nd, 2022. And I, I know I, Little Amal, you know, has traveled globally and is doing amazing. They just did a, like a really lovely like wrap up video of their activities for 2022. You said that you, the original plan was this and then it expanded. I want to hear about the event. It's like, I want to hear about it, but I want to, I want to get underneath it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Know? I was, I was able to produce Little Amal because I, I was brought into the project because I had created the People's Festival yeah. the year before and gone to all of these communities across the five boroughs. And so when I was recommended, it was because A, I was an artist and B, I knew neighborhoods yeah. and I knew public spaces and I knew, like everyone thought that I, that I would be able to, create a journey for little Amal, giving up her, her story, the yeah. fleeing uh, Syria because of the war mm -hmm. and violence, my lived experience and my capacity to, uh, my, and my friendships and my relationships across all of my colleagues and everyone, including yourself, you know, across the whole city, being able to like email and phone call and be like, hey, we're bringing this 12 foot tall puppet to New York. She represents all unaccompanied minors who have had to flee their home 
um, across the world. That make, they make up more than half of the world's refugees. And so what was so beautiful and astounding about Little Amal was that because she had a president of going through Europe and many theater makers and people in the know in New York knew about her already, mm -hmm. most people were very, very excited about the, the call or the email mm -hmm. being like, absolutely, we want to welcome Little Amal. There were moments where that was not the case. There were challenges along the way, but you know, above and beyond, for most of the experience, people were so welcoming and excited about participating and engaging with this with the story. And you know, as we were doing it, I was like, "This is going to be the largest public intervention in the history of the city." And to my to my experience, I think it is right. Like, mm -hmm. when have you seen a theater experience? We we had more than a million people come to meet Little Amal as she moved through the streets. Uh, we paid more than sixteen hundred artists to participate. I was one of them. Thank you. Exactly. And so the, how beautiful that we were able to like really put money in the pockets of, yes. of that many people in the creation of a story that is about people moving through the earth because they have to, because of fear and because of climate change and because of all the things that are moving us yeah. out of our homes. In each location, there was something really poetic and well, everywhere she went, she met the narrative of that community. Yeah. And we looked, we were, we were really interested in bringing forward artistic leaders in every space that we went to, and then the telling of the story of, of those places. And so I'll, I'm going to disclose something that I've never said out loud in a, in a conversation in this way before, which is I, I appreciate and understand the need for land acknowledgement, but I do have trouble with aspects of it, which have to do with ownership. When I think about human beings being on earth, I think that like, the earth was our, is our inheritance, all of us. And how we slice the pie and figure out who owns what, I think we lose so much in this ownership notion of like things belong to us. Like, no, actually we belong to the earth. And so how is she figuring out how to like make space for each of us? Mm -hmm. And when I think about that, I'm like, yes, of course people were in this land and took care of it long before I got here, but I'm here now. And so how do we, how do we recognize those things that all of that is true and that before those folks who were saying own that land there were animals and creatures on that land that were here taking care of that land before those folks and how how do we name them and so I don't know you know I just think being nimble and available to these questions um really humbly really like uh, I just think gosh ownership has done so much that has harmed so many so many of us and continues to harm all of us in so many ways that I wish we could share more and more, you know? I find you very interesting with how you like unravel something, <laughs> you know, here's, you know, this, this puppet who is representing, you know, millions of kids who are being forced or need to migrate um, for all sorts of reasons, like you named. And what does it mean for a place like New York city where there's so many, you know, people who speak over 200 languages and people who have all sorts of, you know, issues to be welcomed into this rich place and then to then connect that all the way to land and land, like what does land mean and who are we on the land in context of, you know, uh, a capitalistic society, you know, when the country was founded, the only people who were allowed to vote were landowners. Well, who were those folks, right? And that so that persistence of in order to have any say in how, uh, you know, and or any power, you have to have, you have to own land. But that's a European concept. It's not actually a concept in a lot of places globally. 
And so how do we reconcile and or, you know, grapple with the 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 idea of, you know, there are people who own a co-op, there are people who own land, there are people who own homes, but you don't actually own the land. Like we don't, none of us own anything. We're just using and extracting. <laughs> um, and, you know, when we talk about, you know, an indigenous approach to understanding that those animals that you named, the trees, the plants, that those are also our brothers and sisters, like that idea of stewardship is that concept alone is so quote unquote un-American <laughs> because we're all about land ownership, right? But the idea of ownership is actually not. Do you know when Wendell Berry? He was a writer, poet, person. Um, he writes about the um, undoing of America. But one of the things that I love about Wendell Berry is that he talked about tilting the soil and living by the philosophy of the farmer, the, the closeness to the earth. Mm. Anyway, I just think all of it is related. And when I think about Little Amal, it was so important for me that when we communicated and all of our advertising was done in Arabic, English, Spanish and and Chinese, mm -hmm. and if I if we if we if I had had my way, I would have had it in all eleven languages that are practiced in New York City officially, um, and maybe unofficially. But again, like, what is the expansiveness of how we communicate and how we tell story? Part of why Little Amal succeeded was because people really felt people felt magnified by her expression, yeah. and so immigrants and all kinds of folks showed up all over the place because they wanted to see themselves at that scale. So, so just to zoom in onto the, um, I went to two events, one of which I was just, I was just observing and enjoy and like I, my company was a part of it, but I wasn't a part of like doing, doing the actual work. And it just like the minute she sort of peered out around the corner, it was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And to see, to see little Amal through the eyes of kids Oh my God, my heart. Ridiculous. So the, the, the first event that I went to was at the, the New York public library where um, I'm sure that you'll, you can name like who all the people was, but the new victory was part of that um, event. And we, we welcomed little Amal and they were at the, you know, the library and there were all these puppets and the puppets were like butterflies and books. And it was like, the, the puppets were books. And she, I just remember her reaching out to look at a book and engage and, and sort of move around with it. It was just beautiful but uh, Nefri um, who was our our sort of creative person on that on that particular event um, what did she say she sort of welcomed her and said you know this is where um, stories all the stories live and you know you're about to start your own story here and we welcome you to New York and it was just like oh my god I can't so that same weekend I guess there were other events and I was I was brought into an event in Central Park and um, I was to support with my friend Shoba and and Sam we were to support um, little Amal going on a scavenger hunt in, in Central Park to find cake because she was hungry and all the all the people were to help find the clues and help her find the cake boy oh boy that was it was a hot day hot day and I was wearing a cape a golden cape <laughs> and the masses were there and it was how many people were actually there i mean i think like at least a thousand people were there like a the thousand? amount of people that were walking the amount of people that were walking around at like the masses of like in the river of people did you know i mean it was so many people all i had was a bullhorn <laughs> yeah exactly 
There were so many, like, and then you think about the technical issues. So many of the miracles with Little Amal happened in, in things that couldn't have been planned. Yeah. And so literally that cake we made for Little Amal was made of yarn, an mm-hmm. oversized cake that was about six foot tall, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but we made it that week because we, we we had an event with the public theater in the Delacorte that didn't we didn't we couldn't get a permit for, and so we had to rejigger the schedule of that weekend, and we had to make a cake scavenger hunt. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It, it, like at it every event, fun. so many surprises, so much. You know, a huge part of uh, another thing that I think is a superpower that I think is really critical in the world is improvisation, mm. and a huge part of practicing improvisation. Little amount succeeds in, in in dealing with that, that right? Like we set up a set of uh, uh, we put together a set of circumstances and things that are meant to happen, and then you let it all unfold and then you watch it. And that was a huge part of the power of of her moving through many of the events that we created. Yeah, and and you know just from that like one experience that I had, I wasn't able to see the others though. I saw a lot of video footage and was you know following people who talking about it on 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 the social media platforms but like from my my personal experience because I wasn't like a part of the big team um you know I was come I was brought in and I was very like whatever you want I'll do <laughs> it's all, whatever um and that improv like definitely was happening in the moment because you know my whole thing as the leader I was like I need to get ahead of and then I I really had no concept of how big that group was at all but we it was I had so much fun so much fun working <laughs> and it was for me the biggest thing was how all the kids who were like so excited to find the clue and so like they were literally fighting over who was going to give the clue to her so she could open it up right but it wasn't like it wasn't competitive. It was, we need to help her. It was about helping her. And very, and the excitement was about her and her journey. You know, and I just, I've never been a part of something like that, you know? Um, and then the, you know, the, the atmosphere was great. It was a beautiful day. The, the band was fantastic. There was a lot of, so much joy, a lot, a lot of joy. And I just don't, I don't remember much except laughing. <laughs> I remember laughing as the leader. It was beautiful. And one of the things that you learned along the way, that was the first weekend of the project. We had three weekends. Mm. Oh my goodness. There was so much. And every weekend was jammed packed. But the, the thing that you eventually learn is that you show up and you have you made the you have the pieces of the recipe and then you just watch it unfold. And the thing you learn eventually is that every single time things are going to happen you didn't expect mm-hmm. and you're going to, and it's going to like, it's going to, yeah, it's going to disarm you even as the maker and doer of the thing, knowing the things that are coming, it still kind of undoes you. And so there were a bunch of times where I got teary and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is so gorgeous and beautiful and like deeply meaningful. When she met the families from uh, uh, peaceful tomorrows, families from nine yeah. 11 who had lost people in the towers when they spoke about what she meant to them and like the idea people can survive and keep going and have hope. She was all over. She was in Coney Island. She was in Washington Heights learning salsa, right? She, the, oh, St. Patrick's. Many of the places, I'll tell you, we had a ceremony with the Lenape uh, on the last week mm-hmm. and they were very upset because they were like, why didn't you come to meet, to, why didn't you come meet us on the, on the first day she was here? Why are we on the last week? And who's prioritizing what? Who's prioritizing this? Yeah. Uh, who does what? And like, literally, it was a really she. She learned a lot from those elders about where they stand and how they feel. And all of us did too, actually. 
one of the things that was really beautiful as part of that ceremony was that the elders requested that the puppeteers who control Little Amal, which is controlled by three puppeteers at any given one time, maybe sometimes four, depending if it's windy. Mm. Um, and they requested that they come apart, that they bring Little Amal apart, her arms, her head, her body, because literally they wanted to have the ceremony with the people who bring her to life. And that undoing was critical to that part of the ceremony. Wow. All, all of our puppeteers were present. So we had 11. It was a huge undertaking and it was, it was beautiful, but you're right. Like I, I, I can only imagine there's lots of more stories around that. And like, you know, the stakeholders that you talked about, they all have their own things, right? Oh my goodness. Literally even the, like the competitive nature of cultural institutions within New York City, across mm-hmm. the five boroughs, I cannot even name for you the tensions across like whose names goes first? Where does she go first? What are they doing? How are they doing it? Oh, what's, and like those kinds of things where you're like, okay, we're all working together here. What do we think that's about? We've been conditioned. All of those folks have been conditioned to think of each other as rivals or as folks who are like, um, they are all competing for the same resources to some yes. degree. And and that, that, thought alone is based on capitalism, right? There's enough for all of us. We can all thrive. So, you know, when you talked at the beginning of this, you're we like, I'm, I'm coming into 2023 with some ease and some gentleness and grace with myself. Like, I, I think part part of the some of the experiences that I had in 2022 also feel like I don't have to give into that, like, sense of ur- urgency or that, like, whatever that impulse is towards com- competitiveness that is harmful, you know, not just like in a game, right. Um, that could be harmful. Can I, can I, you know, dis disrupt that and come at it from a different tone or attitude? Um, yeah, that I had a learning because I, I have been in Melissa's position. I've been in those positions and I could see the, some of the tensions and it was like, Oh, I don't, I, it's so nice to be on this side of things, <laughs> but also could I be on that side and, and still feel like, okay, let's figure this out. But you know, for me, I'll tell you that uh, I'll, I say this often and I'll say it here, which is for me, little Amal was bigger than all of us. Oh, and yeah. so any of the interpersonal challenges and the things that were cha- like, that were real challenges across the work, mm-hmm. I was able to be like, oh my gosh, but look at how stunning it is when we all work together. Yeah. Even even with those tensions, look how beautiful that we're able to bring this together and invite people to imagine a world in which this is possible. You know, I've worked for my organization for a really long time and I've built some really, I think, really cool systems and people are saying, you know, this feels outdated and this feels that. And for the first time in a long, long time, when I heard language like that, like we should change this, this thing that we've been doing for 15 years, or we should change, whatever, whatever it is. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, I don't have, I don't, oh, what? I don't have any feelings about that. I don't feel ownership. I don't feel, you know, uh, my bruised ego, ego because something feels like it's outdated or that I set up or, you know, that, oh, that's a nice, that's a nice feeling. (laughs) And like, can I think about letting go period, you know, letting go and allowing for that imaginative, creative, you know, changes because, you know, they're going to like what, what is there is a foundation, but they're going to make it better. 
They're going to make it better and it's going to be responsive and emergent to who we are and where we are now and where we are. And it's going to set us up for where we want to go. But I, I, it's taken me a long time to understand <laughs> that. And I still get surprised when I'm like, oh, I don't, that's interesting. I don't, I don't feel any, I like, like I need to hold on to something. I don't feel that. And you know, to me, like, just to make it really personal, I think about my partner, Danny Mefford, who's a choreographer on Broadway. Um, mm. But often we're very, we're very different people. And when I look at him being like so cool and collected, I'm like, oh my God, it's because his parents were so present to make sure he knew he was loved all of the time, that he has no attachment to anything else. So he knows. And so uh, when I think about you having those feelings, it's because you have, you did experience those. You, what you built was there and it's yours and it, nobody can take it away from you. Hi, you can go, right? Like our capacity to be so certain of the impermanence and the lack of ownership that will always be the truth that like that allows us to be like actually no I can't change oh great let's go on to the next thing that's gonna make make it better show me how show me how I feel like there are people that I talk to who are practicing artists in whatever capacity but their practices in the creativity absolutely mirrors the practices with the people that they do that work with and I feel like you are you are giving very clear examples of that 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 lived experience is the creative experience. And so I think what I what I'm recognizing in myself is that I I'm having these conversations with people like you on this platform and beyond. And I'm I'm starting to understand that much better and finding ways to actually incorporate that more firmly into my way of living, my way of uh, working with my team, my way of modeling that with folks who don't at all think like that, you know, you know, you and I work in different sectors, but we've had this, this sort of crossover moments, you know, where, what are, let's dream a little bit. Where, where do we think we could potentially intersect more, more intently in future well you know a huge part of the way that I, I work is really about like who are the stakeholders the stakeholders the stakeholders are oh, everybody right like we need to invite everyone to the party so that we can change all of the things or many of the things mm-hmm. that, that need to change for the health, healing of the earth and ourselves mm-hmm. and so oftentimes when I think about it I think about gosh who do we how do we what is the intentional what do what are we going to do together well what are we working on and where where is their overlap literally uh, to think through, because I, I will tell you that through my work at the People's Institute, my hope is to really be in partnership and in collaboration, because that is the modeling. I always think about that as the practicing of the future. Mm. We get together and we imagine what's possible and then we go for it. Again, like what other things keeping us from those things? Just the fact that we're not giving our attention to that opportunity of growth and change. Mm. Um, so plenty, plenty. I mean, I think about, I mean, right now I'm really, really thinking about how people can support immigrants who are arriving from the border to New York City. Mm. And so many organizations, including Carnegie Hall, have invited me to think about how do we bring artists and uh, artistry and all of our resources to these communities that are just making their way to this place and learning about how to be here in the world. Mm. And so developing programs to support those young people across different schools in the five boroughs that are taking them in, specifically many Spanish, you know, the majority of the folks that are coming in are from Venezuela. So focusing on Spanish, you know, having Spanish speaking, teaching artists participate and create these programs, but also to create stories that come from the stories of these folks who are arriving here. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and I'll tell you, if you want, if you're interested in collaborating, this is the idea that, I've, that we've been building over the past two months, which is a family of owls from the Andes Mountains is, has made their way to New York City. Their youngest members of the tribe want to learn how to speak pigeon. And the idea is that the birds will migrate here and will build the story of those birds coming here through the stories of people who have made their way to this to this place on those buses and other ways. Um, but the idea is to create the story together. And so we'll create puppets out of all kinds of birds, including pigeons and owls, mm-hmm. but all of them will have different instruments that will be associated to the way they express themselves in the world. Mm-hmm. And so really building a story and a narrative that we can then tour across communities in the five boroughs, maybe late this summer, but thinking about, gosh, who are those artists? How do we tell those stories? How do we collect those narratives? And then how do we share them with the world so that we can all learn about why people are making those migrations and what it felt like to make those migrations? Yes. Of course, informed by Little Amal and informed mm-hmm. by so many of the things that I've yeah. been engaging with over the past year. I love that an owl learns pigeon. That's, come on, that's great. Um, <laughs> is there any focus or has anything changed in response to the all of the young people that are entering our public schools that are coming from the border? It hasn't come up as a, as a hard topic, but it is something that, you know, we're, we're starting to have that conversation because we, we're starting to just understand what that what it's been looking like. But the idea of like coming at it from, you know, with the arts and, you know, thinking about like very inclusive practices. So regardless of... Um, you know, how new you are to New York or, or whether you're able to speak um, English in school, like being able to engage in the arts is absolutely important. But I can also imagine, you know, trauma-informed practices are, are absolutely a part of that. So that's something that we've definitely been working on. Um, we just did a whole um, series of workshops with the Bartol Foundation. They're based in, in um, Philadelphia, but they have a very expansive um, workshop, uh, course, you know, course titles around, um, trauma-informed practices. So we really wanted to embed that even further into our practice. Um, but we haven't taken that next step that you're talking about, um, firmly, like understanding where, where are the schools that are, have, uh, the highest populations or percentages of populations from, um, the last year, year and a half. Yeah. And also I'll tell you that in my, in my journey with this particular work, I, I, I begin with the question of like, oh my gosh, how do we bring performances to these communities in the in wherever they might be, right? Like how do we mobilize to bring performance and expression to those places? And immediately, it, it took me a moment, not immediately. It took me a moment to be like, oh, actually it's not about that. It's actually inviting them to create the performance with us and to build the stories that we share with each other about what that means to my, what it means to migrate, mm-hmm. right? And so, to really be inclusive. And a lot of the ways in which I approach the work too is horizontal leadership. How are we all leading? How are we all in the circle, actively engaging in the ideas and the process, inclusive of everyone? You know, That's a really critical aspect of, of succeeding in this work. I'm meeting with the Mayor's Office of Immigrant Affairs. Mm-hmm. I'm meeting with the New York Immigration Coalition. I'm meeting with uh, Make the Road. All kinds of folks that are like hands-on addressing the needs of those communi- yeah. of, the, of these families right now. And my hope, and like I just had a call with Carnegie today, is to think through, gosh, who else needs to be in the picture? How do we build these narratives? And how do we invite folks, artists and other stakeholders to participate and to enable the work, right? Because also the fundraising piece to be able to do the work itself, all of that 
is a part of like, okay, what's the idea? How do we build it? What do we need? Yeah. Who needs to be involved? So really open. And, and, and like I name it as, a, as an aspiration and as a hope. Yeah. And, and that's how most of my projects happen. I just talk about what could happen. And then we, and then we talk about it. And then I make drawings. Yeah. And do this, does it look like this? And once people say it does, then we make it this is a clear need and I you know if there are young kids like we are we're definitely like the right people to be engaged in puppetry and music we can we can support that definitely and and storytelling yeah right like and so many of our institutions have the capacity and just mm-hmm. who's thinking about how we're mobilizing towards yeah. that very mm-hmm. it's in the present this is a question that we're asking right now what can we do and literally because we just went through the holidays and there was so much going on it was hard to like kind of mm-hmm. really bring folks together but I feel like we're at a place where we can plan and create processes that will lead to really beautiful things. And when do you engage with the the Department of Cultural Affairs? Through my work with the government. So like, because the Civic Engagement Commission, I came into the Civic Engagement Commission through the Department of Cultural Affairs, I'm continuously in relationship with them. Specifically, a lot of my work focusing on materials for the arts. Mm. I love love that place and I love what it does. And one of my hopes in 2023 is to create a mobile unit that, trans, that, that literally is a mobile warehouse for materials for the arts. So wherever there's parties or events or fairs or things in public spaces, literally we have a gorgeous truck that transforms and becomes a warehouse where people can grab gorgeous reusable materials. I was an artist in residence at Materials for the Arts, but because it's owned by the Department of, well not owned, it's a belong, it's a, it's a relationship to the Department of Culture. A lot of that I do with them involves the Department of Culture all the time. Last year, my colleague and I presented, a, um, or two of my colleagues and I presented at a, a Theater for Young Audiences USA uh, conference. It was a, um, they were doing a tour in different parts of the, um, the country, specifically at children's theaters. And uh, our presentation was, was a provocation of like, you know, how do you think differently about the programs or how do you build or reimagine, not reimagine all programs, but take what you already do and imagine how you could do something differently with a social issue in mind. Um, and we gave them sort of like an, uh, a framework to think about like, who do you want, whose voice do you want to center? So in this particular case, it would be the young people who have, have, um, are refugees and are, are in New York City or recently arrived. Right. Um, what is the art form in your case? It's, it's potentially music storytelling and puppetry. Um, uh, what are the resources that you need? You need to be partnering with different organizations. You need government, you need, right? So you have all those things. So you're imagining. And in that particular group, they, we were trying to create some sort of real world. Um, well, I want to kind of tell you, actually, I didn't name it, but a huge part of why my art practice is successful is because I'm able to like draw out the concept that Times Square could be a park. That's and so I make illustrations and visuals that, in, like, that show the, fu- the possible future. When I think about my artistry and my capacity to make those illustrations yeah. and like draw out and visualize the future, it literally is a huge part of my process to invite people to name what it is and then to see it for themselves and then to be like, oh, we can make that happen. And so with every one of Little Amal's scenes, everything she was doing what is the story of that it, like I thought of it like a children's book what is little Amal learning everywhere she's going and how are we all learning along with her and so they were made into drawings and a storyboard and that's how we built the 50 events like by you drawing you're literally like manifesting 
Oh my God, my favorite story is uh, I met the Mujeres en Movimiento. Mujeres en Movimiento is a group of women that for 10 years has been gathering in Corona Park in Queens um, three times a week, maybe two times sometimes, but they work out together and nobody pays any money. There's somebody always volunteers to teach the class. They have great music. It's mostly undocumented women who have been gathering to find health together through movement. I made a drawing of the People's Buzz uh, when I first thought of it in November of 2020, because I wanted to envision what a what a corrections vehicle could become as a community center. And I made a drawing of the bus with the word peoples uh, scroll uh, painted across the bus with people around the entire bus making paintings in Corona Park, right in front of the place where they, they held the World's Fair mm. back in the 1960s. Literally when the Mujeres and Movimiento invited me to come and meet them for the first time, the drawing that I made of the park came from a, a picture from, I found on Google of of uh, Corona Park. Mm-hmm. And the place where they gather, when they often gather, is the place that I drew in my drawing in November. And I only met them in March of 2021. So four months later, I went to the place that I had drawn the People's Bus on. And those women helped create the People's Bus because they made most of the reading for the million beaded ceiling. Um, and it's a literal, mani- a literal, it's a literal manifestation, yes. right? Like, and it is a, it comes from hope, it comes with an open heart. When I draw, I think it's a kind of meditation mm-hmm. and a kind of prayer. And I, when I think about performance, when I think about the arts, all of the ways in which we're manifesting as artists is a kind of prayer. And I think it moves us towards the earth that will take care of all of us. And so that's the little bit that I do. But the hope is that all of us can show up and practice our creativity and our imagination and give on to that future. That will, that will see us and that will nourish us and that will give us belonging. I want to say thank you so, so much for this conversation, for your like ridiculously beautiful, like you're well lit right now, but I just, I see, I just see you shining. Um, and just like, thank you for inspiring me and and I'm sure you're going to inspire others. I can't wait to keep talking to you and this is a this is a burgeoning friendship that will definitely have long lasting impact i'm sure um yeah thank you i hope you had a good time <laughs> yeah no i really appreciate our conversation i think it was a meandering one you know with every one of our questions we went all over the place i appreciate that expansiveness and i'm grateful for you making room for me to be able to tell my stories yeah. um i am i'm excited about the future and i'm grateful for this time Thank you for listening to Episode 64, Act 2 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Yasmani Arboleda, Mobilizing Interdependence. Join us next time for a conversation with Carmen Kelly. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the Director of Creative Content. John Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Find us on Instagram at Teaching Artistry Podcast. And now on YouTube, check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now. Ooh.